You are listening to the Necropolis Podcast, which is brought to you by Jason from Goatcraft and Shelly from HeatMeditations.com and Metal Legion Magazine. Welcome to Necropolis. We're back. Episode 70 here, back in black, and we got a positive episode for you today. Um, last few episodes, other than the interview with Damon, they have been on the negative side where we slaughtered sacred cows on two different occasions, and we also slaughtered some legacy bands. So I figured... Let's just do a freaking positive episode for once, and let's just talk about some bands that we view as underrated. So we do have the usual crew here today, plus a special guest. Uh, we do have Shelly, the co-host, who is about to be a father, and today is Father's Day here in the U.S. Uh, uh, welcome back, Shelly. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we also have that Tyler. Tyler, welcome back. Thank you very much. Happy to be back. Yes, sir. We also have Raphael from Hessian Firm. Thank you for coming on, Raphael. Thank you for bringing me on again. Yes, sir. Always great to have you. And uh, we do have a special guest, and that guest is Daniel Lake from Decibel Magazine, as well as the author of that USBM book, which has some mixed reactions out there. But overall, I think, you know, it's been more positive than negative. But uh, thank you for coming on, Daniel Lake. Oh, man. Thanks for having me on. This is great. Yes, sir. Always great to have you on and chat with you and you know maybe someday we'll have some beers again but uh so underrated bands <clears throat> i had chose uh three bands i quote-unquote met last year in finland i chose desecracy which i made up with yarno from desecracy he was the vocalist for a while um tommy is the uh, guy who has taken over that project completely as one-man band now but um, Yarno was a, a figure in that band on their seminal albums. Um, and uh, so I chose Desecracy because of it's like this really like if Bolt Thrower was more ambient and more powerful, I believe. And uh, some of those uh, Desecracy albums they scratch that itch so well that I think they're honestly better than Bolt Thrower. Um, and especially like uh, the Doom Skeptron. There's so many bangers on there that would be like my, if I was a wrestler in a WWF or WWE, it would be my entrance music when I go down to the wrestling ring and, you know, wrestle the Undertaker and all that. It'd be blasting that Desecracy because it's just so anthemic and so wonderful and so powerful. And it's just so intuitive as well. Like when they hit that mark, they hit it so well that I, I believe they are uh, vastly underrated. And there's so many like OSDM bands nowadays that really miss the mark. There's nothing really unique about uh, the the sound that they have. It's just kind of regurgitating flavors of the past. Where I do believe Desecracy has its own individual voice. And you can definitely see that Tommy taking the whole project over. It's just all Tommy now, but um, he definitely has his own distinctive style, which, like I said, is kind of like a synthesis of like bolt thrower and uh, other old school death metal bands but i haven't heard any bands approach it like tommy has to such a wonderful um conclusion that he has um and that's why i chose desecracy any thoughts on desecracy i mean yeah you hit the nail on the head with the the bolt thrower comparison they're sort of to me like a combination of some of the weirder atmospheric elements of older finnish death metal with the like grinding mid-paced brutality of bolt thrower and the way they use guitar leads is really interesting as well because they don't really introduce traditional melodies or like solos um as one would expect but they're kind of just simple little refrains that kind of cycle around 
almost like electronic music in a way. Um, and yeah, I'd take the ambient comparison to that as well. They're sort of there providing atmosphere as much as they are like melodic development. Um, and yeah, as well, I totally agree that they have an, a unique voice. They've got like, I think about seven albums out now and you can always tell their voice within, you know, the like milieu of like modern death metal or whatever. Their signature style does really stand out. Um, and yeah, they just keep churning them out and um, there hasn't been any sort of major drop in quality um, in recent years as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, definitely a band that more people should check out. Yeah, it's, it's, it, like if I would have discovered them when I was a teenager, I probably would have just been really freaking obsessed with them. Like if, if I listen to Desecrecy as like my gateway band, because they are very accessible in terms of like really underground death metal. They are very, very accessible. The riffs are not too complex or anything like that. It's just how intuitive they are and how they're layered. And it's like that uh, theme song from uh, 28 Days Later, where it just kind of has that little you know, four, uh, four note development, but the layering on top of it is what really brings it into its own distinctive character. And Desecrecy does that to a little bit more complex extent, but still uh, in terms of uh, accessibility, it's very, very accessible music that I believe anyone, uh, you know, regardless of how they come into extreme metal, whether or not they, they're new to it, um, they, they should be able to appreciate Desecrecy as well as veterans of the scene too. Uh, any other thoughts on Desecrecy? I definitely agree that they're vastly underrated. Uh, they've made some of the most interesting death metal in recent times and for a pretty decent slew of albums too. I mean, I would say maybe their first uh, four albums or so uh, are excellent quality. Um, the first two are rather excellent, especially the second, as you already noted. Um, and the bolt thrower comparison is also very apt. It's also interesting that Shelley pointed out that bolt thrower influence is, is common in Finnish death metal because I've always thought the same. Everything from uh, Demigod to even like Amorphous first album, Adremelec, you hear that, <clears throat> as he put it, grinding mid paced rhythm. Um, and uh, they put it to good use. You know, a lot of people could almost accuse bolt thrower and bands influenced like that by them like the ones we've mentioned uh as having a sort of um groove to them i honestly think that they use rhythm in a different way than what could properly be called groove to create a sort of um i don't know ratcheting rhythm that in repetition and through slight additions to that repetition uh, creates a sense of ambiance and desecracy almost uh took that further with their use of leads as well so very excellent band yeah, yeah. And back when I was at exercise night, uh, running on trails and hitting the gym and all that, Desecrecy was on my gym playlist, like nonstop. And especially that song, The Sleep of Titans, I would play that on repeat while running through uh, trails and parks and scaring deer and all that. So, uh, um, yeah. Uh, and another uh, band, I did mention that Yarno was in Desecrecy on the first four albums, I believe. Um, he has his own solo project called Serpent Ascending, which is another band that I view as underrated. And uh, I first discovered uh, Serpent Ascending because uh, we we're label mates, and he was on uh, Void Hanger Records, and I was releasing the Goodcraft through there, and I was checking out some of the bands that was on there, and uh, Serpent Ascending was, and uh, with the Enigma Unsettled, which is a compilation of uh, some demo material from Yarno. 
I, I realized like, wow, this is really competent, you know, finished death metal. And the there's a distinctive character that Yarno has with how he uh, layers as well. I probably, you know, it's just something uh, probably like from Slugathor to Desecracy to sort of sending this uh, very intuitive way of layering uh, notes on each other is uh, very, very wonderful. And I did go to the symphony orchestra in Helsinki with him and uh, uh, Marco from Beherit. And Yarno was even saying, he's like, he's imagining writing music for the orchestra as he was listening to Mahler, uh, uh, Shostakovich. Um, and he was just really, really amazed about how the uh, different parts of the orchestra work together to create the the unifying uh, music. And I thought that was really interesting too. And of course, you know, we had brought him on this program and and uh, just kind of talking to him. And he he conceptualizes music in his mind first, and then he applies that to guitar. So he'll he'll conceptualize music, you know, beyond you know just playing on a guitar and coming up with riffs. He actually thinks about the music itself, and uh, then he applies that to guitar. So when it came to the the uh, symphony orchestra in Helsinki um that was kind of interesting that he was saying that he was imagining creating music in that regard in his mind while listening to uh I mean we're right up front too <laughs> so it was like boom all the symphony musicians were right in our face but uh um but yeah uh, just a really interesting guy and uh I of course you know I always loved Desecrescent and then I found out Serpent Ascending and um a lot of people hold a the the album that the first like true full length Anuku, um that uh a lot of people view that really really highly and honestly I I view that you know pretty well itself I think it's a little too compact with the how the riffs are that may not be as accessible as that Desecracy but uh he still has this unique to like very intuitive style of the way that he composes that is distinctively his own and uh on his uh quote-unquote heavy metal album hyperborean folklore which is kind of hard to really compartmentalize that album because he's essentially just playing his influences at that point with hyperborean folklore um the second half of that album when he starts doing that layering again and really getting into it with the the clean notes and all that too it is very, very, very beautiful. And it's some of the most beautiful extreme metal that I've heard, period. Um, so, Shelly, I know that was your album of the year last year. What are your thoughts on Surface Ending? Yeah, well, the Hyperborean Folklore album, it did take me by surprise because I think Serpent Ascending sort of passed me by in that I saw them as just another underground death metal band. Um, that's not a comment on them it's more the fact that i wasn't really paying attention but the death metal proper is still like really interesting when you when you bury yourself in it but yeah the latest album hyperborean folklore took me by surprise for how both like linear it is in composition um by that i mean it's more it functions more like a heavy metal album where there are sort of a series of melodies that are introduced with a fairly consistent rhythm rather than death metal which is sort of much more chopped up and chaotic but it has this kind of meta logic that sits above it and he also combines that with um what i what i just call in my head like soundscape metal and by that i mean it's more it's not just a case of like composition and performance it's also a case of arrangement 
And that's what's happening on Hyperborean Folklore is him constructing and arranging sounds, a bit like one would a landscape painting, placing things in relation to one another in a way that's going to elevate both both elements. Um, and he sort of does that in quite a linear way in that you kind of are introduced to one section, it will build up, themes will kind of be added and it'll sort of coalesce into something and then it'll gradually transition into the next piece. And bear, bear in mind, there's only four tracks on the album and they're all kissing like 10 minutes in length. So he kind of really takes his time to do that. Um, and yeah, I, I completely agree. A really like unique way to write a metal album and a real like unexpected left turn for what I consider to be like a fairly sort of true blue death metal band to sort of start experimenting with, you know, melodies that are really quite bright and light as well um, and very colourful. Um, and to do that and still come off with what is, you know, a challenging heavyweight piece of like extreme metal. Um, yeah, it's definitely an impressive feat. And yeah, it deserves recognition for that. And that's one of the reasons I picked it as my album of the year last year. Yeah, I remember uh, last year, Yarno had sent it to me early, you know, just like, well, I want to know what your thoughts are. So I had the album like two months before it came out. And I remember I went to uh, England. I was hanging out with you at a, like a bar on a patio somewhere. And you had like your Romanian friends there. And I was just playing it on my phone. And everyone was like, what is this? It was like, this is Serpent Ascending. I'm about to go hang out with this guy in a week in Finland. And uh, yeah, it was just really cool. Because I, I was really taken aback about just how beautiful. And I don't like to use that word about extreme metal. But the there are some very beautiful ways that he layers uh, sounds on top of each other to create, you know, this really, really bigger picture than what uh, uh, most, how most bands approach, you know, Riffcraft and all that. He's, he's like world building almost. So uh, any other thoughts on Serpent Ascending? Sure. Uh, I really liked uh, Serpent Ascending's uh, first two albums, I guess, because if I remember right, isn't the Enigma, Enigma Unsettled kind of a, somewhat of a compilation? Um but also kind of a full-length album. Um, I'm kind of the dissenting voice on uh, Hyperborean folklore. I thought that the use of melody was very interesting, but I thought it lacked somewhat of a center. So while I thought it was a uh, very pleasant uh, melodicism to listen to, I didn't feel like this is kind of an overused cliche turn of phrase, like it really went anywhere. So it didn't really stick with me as well i wrote a review on the album somewhat saying as much um but it was a very interesting use of melody and uh i'm happy that someone was trying to bring in lengthier flowing sense of melody into extreme metal i do really think that in relation to desecracy that the first two albums had a really excellent sort of ambient use of um of melody and uh, like repeated phrases that gradually changed throughout the piece that made them some of the best material I've heard in recent times. Uh, I'm excited to hear what he's going to do in the future. Yeah, we're doing a uh, a split, the GoCraft and uh, the Serpent Ascending. So um, I, I know he's wrapping up his side of that. So I'm sure exactly when that will be coming out. But uh, yeah, he approached me a couple of years ago. I would like to say about that. But we're just now getting around to it. Um, I know for sure it'll come out on vinyl through Void Hanger, but uh, other than that, I don't know for sure about a, a CD release. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's Serpent Ascending. Uh, I, I I do view this project as having 
uh, the most like real potential to really carve out a, a unique uh, stance on extreme metal, um, depending on how, you know, Yarno goes in the future. And that's the wonderful thing about one man bands is that he has complete control of it. He has a clear vision of what he's doing with it. And so like he did with Hyperborean Folklore, that came out of left field 100%. But I know Tyler may not think it's quote-unquote narrative or going to logical places, you know, of how the uh, the songs are constructed. But I, I view that it's more about the ride than the destination. It's more about that ride where you, get, you see some of the uh, very, very expansive, beautiful melodies that he's able to uh, put together and layer um and that's what really makes it uh more special and it's there's this distinctive like intuitive style that he has too that uh should not go unstated it's very distinctly yarno um he's not mimicking anyone else he's mimicking his soul you know it's like it's he's just trying to unleash his true essence upon uh the music and it comes from a very very sincere place so the Third band I chose is uh, Beherit, but not the the metal Beherit. There's this other side of Beherit, which is the electronic side. Um, and honestly, I love the metal side of Beherit, but I view the electronic side as just being as good as the metal side. Um, and with that electric doom synthesis, I've listened to that so many freaking times. I know other people have said it's great driving around music. I, I've had experiences like that too, where I'm driving through a downtown district that just happened to be playing. I was like, wow, this is the perfect vibe music for driving through like a hellish downtown landscape. So um, with Electric Doom Synthesis, I view that uh, Marco was able to capture the fury and the rage and uh, his uh, black metal style completely in electronic forms. Um, especially uh, I've been dicking around with like guitar work on keyboards um, and uh, he was actually the first I've ever heard do that on electric doom synthesis where he has a keyboard and he's mimicking distorted guitars with that. Um, but anyway, it's very, very like it's all these other Finnish bands. So the, the word intuitive keeps coming uh, at the forefront of my mind when trying to describe these uh Finnish bands is very very intuitive it's very I can tell because I met Marco last year and he's a very uh introverted guy but then again most Finnish people are um I view the electronic era Beherit as being just as good as the black metal I know the uh Bardo exists which came out uh, in 2020 didn't meet some mixed reviews but the thing about Beherit is he's never released a bad album uh, the, the worst that you'll get from him is good, <laughs> not like bad or, you know, even average. But I, I did hear some dissenting voices about Bardo exists uh, being a little too just uh, focusing on textures and uh, kind of like a soundtrack. But uh, even in those terms, it still wasn't bad. So any thoughts on the electronic side of Beherit? I'll just jump in and say, I think, I think, some people, particularly on the black metal side, just they don't get Bahirit. Um, and I think the, the reason I'm saying that is because I view the electronic side of Bahirit as an, a clear extension and a clear like um, re-articulation of what he's doing on the black metal side. They're two sides of the same coin for me, especially when you look at where 
some of the weirder quote unquote aspects of a drawing down the moon um, cropped up. There were sort of dark ambient interludes and kind of strange atmospheric flourishes scattered across that album that clearly slide into where he was going with the ambient electronic albums. And um, even like his most straightforward album, something like Engram, it has, you know, the, the closing track Demon Advance, which is like a 15 minute long sl- uh, like sludging dirge, um, which again sort of fades away into ambience and it kind of pivots on this re- repetition um, it's almost like um, a piece of minimalist industrial that played in a sort of metallic uh, setting. So I think the people kind of the people that dismiss the electronic albums from Bahirit, they d- clearly haven't quite got the point of some of his like black metal work and what makes it so unique. Because um, I think they kind of they kind of dismiss Bahirit on the basis of like the Oath of Black Blood and sort of lump them in with as like a blasphemy sort of war metal thing but there's so much more going on to his black metal stuff it's so much more eccentric and weird and yeah the electronic doom synthesis is like the the paragon of of that vision on the electronic side and it's really communicating very similar sort of themes and visions just with yeah completely different um materials and technology so yeah I'd, i'd agree with i'd agree with you on that one jason yeah, I remember sharing uh, Electric Doom Synthesis with this guy, uh, Jason Thomas, who's a musician out in California. I think he also has his own podcast now. He goes by the name Corpsey, and he could not stand it. I'm like, dude, this is this is essentially Beharit. It's just the textures are slightly changed. Um, um, something that I do want to mention is that uh, Marco was really, really into the EDM scene for a long time. He was a DJ, so... Um, a lot of those guys in EDM, they're like really, really obsessed with like textures and production values and all that. And uh, I can kind of tell that because I was Marco and I had worked on some music together. And before I was in Finland, um, I sent him a, a track and he kept writing me back. It's like there's distortion in this. Get rid of the distortion. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? And I was listening to all these you know different speakers and headphones and earbuds and was just trying to. Th- I don't. I do not hear distortion. And then when I got to uh, Finland, he was like, oh, yeah, the distortion was coming from my speaker. I'm like, dude, here you are putting me like through the loops with uh, trying to figure out exactly what's wrong with the texture. But it's probably because uh, um, he does come from an EDM scene where there is a huge emphasis on production values. And it's probably uh, like what Bardo exists that that influence came out even more because uh, the, the textures in there are super crisp. Um, but I actually, uh, I just looked it up while I was chatting, uh, that Jason Thomas guy is, his podcast is called cinematic suffering. <laughs> I guess this is about horror movies, but, uh, yeah, I'm just going to name drop him here because he did not like that electric doom synthesis. There's something wrong with that guy. Um, but, uh, Daniel, you haven't said anything in a long time. Uh, what are your thoughts on Beharit? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all in with what you guys are saying about it so far. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with the non-black metal Beharit, uh, so I just kind of dip my toes into it. Um, it's I, it's very cool, and I, I maybe that's the point of this podcast is underrated bands and getting people to listen more to it. Um, I'll, I'll absolutely spend more time with it. Um, my uh, my experience is much more with the, the black metal Beharit stuff, but yeah, this was cool stuff. 
Yeah, I think I think you'll you'll like Electric Doom Synthesis. Uh, there's another album that came out before that. It starts with an age of a whole bunch of numbers. Um, it's kind of like a proto uh, Electric Doom Synthesis. Like you can tell, like the raw ideas of what he was going to cultivate later were in that first album. But it's still not even bad. Like it's good listening experience and. You know, he's been alive for, you know, 150 years. Therefore, he is a god. <laughs> you know, very iconic lines like that. And, uh, all right, cool. So, uh, Shelly, what are your three underrated bands? If you want to go one by one or all together, up to you. I'll go one by one. But um, I'll just clarify by saying I've, I've chosen my definition of underrated a bit vaguely in that it's really just, um, it's not three bands of the same caliber. It's just three bands that I don't think are rated according to their body of work. So I'll start with probably the most obscure and then work up. Um, the first one is a death metal band from Chile called Mortify, who I only discovered last year. It's another one that was in my top, I think it was in my top five um, albums from last year. They released an album called um, Fragments at the Edge of Sorrow, which is... Um, it's hard to sort of talk about like the glory days of death metal now without sounding like you uh, are just sort of super into old school death metal trend stuff. Um, but this album really it emulates the what's the word the vision or the idea of of death metal in its heyday rather than just copying the like forms and techniques without really understanding like what motivated it. So, you know, it has elements of like old school, Morbid Angel, Gorguts, The Chasm. Uh, there's some Finnish influence in there as well. And it's it brings back the weird elements of, of death metal as well um, in that there's there's a lot of quirky things in there. There's a bit of cenotaph, um, stuff like that. And it has oodles of atmosphere as well, which really kind of marry up with the riffs in a really effective way. Um, so... I'm highlighting these guys not just to highlight Mortify, who I think are just a band that more people should know about, but also just, I don't know if I'm going crazy, but from my little corner of the world, it seems like something is happening in Chile and more broadly in South America as well. I know South America has many sort of classic bands um, going all the way back to the 70s and 80s. But um, for me, like every now and then, I'll just keep seeing a band crop up where they just blow the genre out of the water in terms of their interpretation of it. And they invariably seem to be from Chile. Um, so I just wanted to sort of highlight that and say like, for instance, there's a black and thrash band called Demoniac that um, again, are just one of the best things I've heard in the last five or 10 years. Um, Sepulchrum who are another, a bit more of a, a like thrashy death metal band, but again, really solid uh, i came across a heavy metal band the other day called the talus that are just absolutely insane um i could go on i'll probably write an article about it at some point um but also like yeah bands like condor from colombia as well uh death slaughter illumination and the cryptic from brazil ancient gate from argentina um there's a lot going on down there and mortify are kind of they're another example of just chile in particular taking like an element of extreme metal and just really showing like North American and European bands, how it's done. I think, I don't know if any of you guys have come across it or want to comment at all, but um, I'll throw it open. Yeah. Yeah. I gave them a listen because uh, I had seen a couple of your reviews about them because you had the hate meditations 
um, review, and then you had the uh, the Metal Legion magazine review, and I'm like, okay, Shelly's really talking these guys up, and uh, I did check. <laughs> To be fair, when I when I review a band for Metal Legion and I've already done a hate meditations review, it means I have to write two reviews because he's asked me, like, and completely fairly, don't publish the Metal Legion reviews on my own site, which is totally fair. So when I come across an album that I really like, I have to write two fucking reviews for it. Which for an album like Mortify, I could probably write five. Uh, but yeah, that's that's why that that happened. Yeah, uh, what I, what I kind of thought about that uh, album. It was very uh, labyrinthine, um, the way the 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 atmosphere is and, you know, how... I mean, there was some, like, a little bit of progressive influences, but it was one of those, uh, like, really riff-oriented, you know... There was a lot of Tampa death metal influence in there, too. Um, they could have been, you know, 1995 Tampa death metal, like, uh, uh, no one, like, eulogy or something like that that no one... Uh, really knows about but uh yeah like you're saying that uh south america is a hotbed for like the old school uh type of death metal but not that osdm that is really really popular here in the states like uh, blood incantation and bands like that um but it's more of like the these guys you can tell they're they have more skin in the game quote unquote um where you know the that thriving culture so that was the like the early Tampa death metal scene is thriving in South America, as well as you know you go to different countries and there's like a different type of zeitgeist that's there about metal. Like when I was in Ukraine, the the metalheads in Ukraine were different than in the U.S. Like there's so many Ukrainians wearing death metal shirts I just randomly saw, um, and in uh, Kiev there was a, a, a like a extreme metal shop as well. Um, big old shop um it was called a uh, core metal actually yeah that was the name of it but uh anyway getting back to you know south america uh i remember checking out a shit ton of bands from that you know part of the world when i was younger like anal vomit and all of that and uh you know they they, they range from like the really uh, bestial war metal to uh death metal such as this uh, with the mortify and what really stuck out the most with mortify which I would honestly pl place it above uh, a lot of those other bands that are over there is the just really intricate riffs. And, uh, and there is like a slight progressive sound to it as well, which kind of is like reminiscent of like the early Tampa death metal scene without it being contrived and surface level. So I do think there's a shit ton of potential there with that mortify. However, I, 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 it's not as memorable. Um, to me as you know like the some of these other bands that we'll be discussing but i do view that they have a shit ton of potential and i really hope they take it to the next level yeah i think labyrinthine is a really good way to describe them it kind of reminds me of uh cenotaphs the gloomy reflection of our hidden sorrows in that you kind of they sort of build an um an atmosphere through the riffs and then introduce like these really oddball kind of lead guitar elements and yeah I think that's where the progressiveness comes in where it's not really you know trying to really overwork it like <laughs> like some people would say about certain deaf albums or whatever um it's much more subtle than that and yeah I think it's hard to put your finger on but if you listen to a band like Tomb Mold and then compare it to a band like Mortify you kind of get who really understands what like death metal was originally about and what it could or should 
be like used to express rather than just sort of creating the feel or a kind of facsimile of it um and yeah the, like i will accept mortify is still quite young they're only into their second album and they have a lot of potential they can build on it but yeah i also just picked them because i wanted to sort of highlight uh south america as a hot spot um so yeah uh moving on to the next band i have picked on the black metal side uh temple of abraxas who are a solo uh, black metal band headed by Sleepwalker, who we've had on the podcast a few times. Um, he had another project called A Transylvanian Funeral. Um, and with Temple of Abraxas, I mean, Transylvanian Funeral was very kind of um, straightforward, classic era black metal. Um, and when I say that, it kind of makes it sound quite boring, but he has a way with black metal, similar to Mortify in a lot of ways, in that he seems to just understand what motivates like the really um, straightforward tremolo riffs, blast beats, quite an obscure atmosphere, lo-fi production, but not like abrasive, like, or, you know, unlistenable static still like powerful enough to draw you in and also a sense of like melodrama to it as well obviously with a name like a transylvanian funeral and with temple of abraxas he's kind of expanded on that and taken it in a slightly more abstract i would say esoterical mystical kind of space and i really want to highlight an album he released in 2019 called temples forlorn which is a really simple really sparse album but it it has this unique, it's one of the most unique atmospheres I've come across in recent years where it just pulls you in. And the riffs, again, they're very simple, but they unfurl in really kind of clever and engaging ways. Um, and he kind of has this ability to kind of transition, but make it seem really, really flowing. Um, and the melodies like unfurl in really kind of satisfying, um, I mean, I'm going to borrow your word, Jason, intuitive <laughs> kind of ways and it's that perfect marriage of like um a really unique atmosphere with the songwriting underneath and much like uh Desecrecy, it's not the most complex music it's pretty straightforward in terms of like the actual compositions and the riffing uh but again it's not like what you do it's not the music itself it's what you do with it it's how you craft it and how you arrange it and i think that's what makes a uh, temple of abraxas so special um is anyone come across them again another relatively obscure one but um i'll throw it open again yeah i was actually signed to his record label of my first album so <laughs> um yeah i've been a champion of sleepwalker for a long time now um it was really strange like you're talking about his production but he actually has a full-fledged recording studio um and he does like video game music now and like he does uh, the soundtrack to dusk and i know he just did the sequel soundtrack too so um, with the boomer shooter stuff um but yeah he's, he's found a niche outside of extreme metal just to be creative with you know he's, he's always doing all these different projects like he wrote a book a fantasy novel uh uh he had his you know record label at one point he had a magazine uh uh he was a real estate agent at one point and you know just all these you know i, I think he's in school right now uh going for another degree or something like that so um, he's one of those guys who's all over the place, but um, he's able to handle uh, projects with a lot of care. And uh, he was the, with Forbidden Records, he was the uh, 
the guy who thrusted my project into the spotlight. Um, but yeah, 100% agree with what you said. Uh, and I do view uh, Temples Forlorn uh, being one of the highlights. I did write a review of uh, the last album, 1931, which is all Roman numerals on the, the album title. But uh, um, And with that, uh, it, it's, it's even more straightforward and to the point and uh and like you said it he has an intuitive way of the way he puts the uh logic to the the riffs and how they're ordered and uh and yeah temples forlorn i i view has some of the the best keyboard work in usbm uh very definitely a big underrated uh usbm project daniel i know you're the author of the book and we can talk all day about bands that weren't in there especially uh gbk where's the gbk but uh um but yeah definitely a great project great guy um been in contact with him for a decade now and nothing bad nothing bad to say about him whatsoever uh being you wrote that book about usbm daniel any thoughts on uh temple of Braxis? oh yeah uh you're right it, you know that that wasn't one of the bands that made it but uh i yeah I, i'm really interested in this guy's stuff um uh i got to hear transylvanian funeral a little while ago and um was listening to the Temple of Abraxas stuff and really into like, there's some cool like guitar, like, like solo intro type things. Um, and it also occurred to me how much of the, the, the drumming, the riffing, some of those performances feel like that kind of almost that they, they reach out again for that kind of early punk, like, like anti-death metal version of black metal where like death metal is too complicated and too musical. And, and this is, you know, uh, reaching back to something that's uh, more about the, the simple, the atmosphere, uh, the occult driven side of things um, with some really, just really cool sounds going on in there. Yeah. I was into that. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. It, I know you said he's got his own recording studio, Jason, but yeah, it still comes across as a very like DIY homegrown project in a, in a good way. And like I said, none of it's sort of overly complex uh, and it may manage to maintain like the exhilaration and the, the power of black metal, but um, uh, like, what, what was I going to say? It's sort of like, um, some of it is also quite catchy in a lot of ways um like the transylvanian funeral album uh the outsider which again i'd highlight a lot of the riffs on there are really kind of quite memorable and quite um accessible in a lot of ways but yeah he places them in a certain context that sounds um just sounds really powerful and very kind of theatrical as well um so does anyone else have any thoughts on this before i move on to my final pick I, I definitely want to highlight. Uh, I know we're talking about Temple of Braxis, but it's pretty much the same band as A Transylvanian Funeral. And The Outsider, I view as one of the best uh, black metal releases from the US in the 2000s, that time frame. I, I view it being one of the best uh, USBM releases. I know, uh, you know, it wasn't in your book, Daniel, because he's pretty well, like, unknown, <laughs> but uh, he's definitely up there with. Uh, um, one of the the best USBM in my opinion at least but uh um we can we can split hairs all day about the book and what is in the book is a pretty good uh characterization of US black metal and 
I'm definitely not going to split hairs that one of my favorite USB events wasn't it. But and it was funny, like when he came out with the book, everyone was like, where's Granville Isles key? And, you know, they were in the book. They were in the book, weren't they? Yeah, yeah they were. And the Decibel and Daniel Lake were getting a lot of shit over that. It's like, where's GBK? And uh, so, yeah, these already gotten a lot of shit that was unneeded um, even back when the book was coming out. And they were indeed in the book. So um, what's your third band, Shelly? Well, it's like like I always say, if, you, if you're pissing off people on both sides, you're probably doing something right. Um, my third band is of an entirely different caliber because I thought I would, rather than me just picking my little pet loves at the moment, um, you can always just check out my albums from last year and the year before if you're want to see some more like obscure newer releases but my final pick was the chasm um from mexico and the reason for picking these guys i don't know if they are bigger in across the pond but in the uk or in europe um to my mind given their body of work their consistency and the quality of their material and how unique it is again like desecrecy you can always tell a chasm album um they have such a unique approach to composition um just the the signature style to their riffs and the way that they again arrange everything it's just so identifiable and so unique and they've managed to sort of maintain a level of consistency over a considerable number of albums i think they should be as big as like the you know the silverback gorillas of of death metal but for me they're just not they're sort of a band that you know a, a good audience know and respect but they're not you know they're not approaching the same level as a suffocation or a morbid angel or whatever and to my mind they should be um some you know they deserve to be in that canon far more than um some of the bands that are in that canon um, and again, I don't know if it's because they weren't from the US or something, but then I think, you know, Sepultura got huge because they kind of got the, you know, the lucky break at Morris Sound or not. But yeah, to my mind, they should be a household name. And for me, they always seem to be treated as sort of second or third division by the death metal audience. But I don't know if that chimes with you guys or not, or if I'm just um, maybe on the wrong side of the Atlantic to uh, come across their audience. I personally, I spent very little time with the chasm um, and even prepping for this episode, I didn't listen to them, but uh, <laughs> um, no, you're completely correct. It's like, I don't hear them mentioned much in many different circles, but I have checked them out at various points in my life. Uh, um, they are, they seem to be quite big. Um, they might have a sizable audience, um, but then again, I haven't really spent that much time with them to really have like a fully formed opinion of their music. Um, and according to their Wikipedia, it shows that they're currently residing in Chicago. So, oh, okay. right. yeah, they, they may uh, uh, be branching out into uh, the U.S. scene a little bit more, so they might get a little bit more popular. But honestly, I know uh, on your website you had an image of uh, from the chasm on there on Hate Meditations, but uh, I think you did at least. I might be misremembering. Mis I posted but, uh, a review of one of their albums on there. Um, and, yeah, the main guy... Uh, Daniel Corchado, he played on Diabolical Conquest uh, by Incantation. He was uh, vocals and bass on that album as well. And he was also he, on a Cenotaph's debut. Yes, as well, yeah. Um, and he was asked to join Incantation full-time, but he wanted to focus on The Chasm, which is fair enough. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not the most accessible 
it's quite a dense sound that they've got. It's very composed and it can be a little bit, um, what's the word, overbearing at times. It's quite intense. Um, you know, it's very slow and kind of swirling, but I think they just, they create this kind of wall of dissonant sound, but not not dissonance in the kind of Despel Amiga sense. There, there is melody there too, and there is dynamics, but um, they, they're not as like, you know, catchy or playful as some uh, some of the US death metal bands. But yeah, um, which album? Raphael, sorry, yeah. which album would you recommend to someone who's not familiarized with them? Um, it definitely took them uh, a couple to get going, but I would say maybe the third album, Death Cult for Eternity, The Triumph, or the one after that, uh, Procession to the Infraworld. Um, either one of those two. I mean, like I said, they've got a shitload of albums, but either one of those two is probably like the best way into um, into the chasm. Because um, I think that they're the sort of two most like complete statements of of what they're about. Um, but yeah, does anyone else have any thoughts on the chasm? Sure, I'll offer some thoughts. Uh, I think that the chasm has a somewhat devoted audience, although it's a smaller audience of people who appreciate more thoroughgoing death metal death metal with a little more thought to it so to speak um but as far as their presence in the idea of death metal as a whole or even as um i guess you can say a certain brand of death metal like apart from like the trends of like brutal death metal or whatever they're relatively unknown and in that regard i can see why you would consider them underrated i've had an on and off affair with the band uh throughout my life uh i was a really big fan of them when i was younger uh as i've grown older my opinion on them has kind of cooled uh i like some of the weird style of riffing and some of the attempt to work in an odd by oddball style of melody which honestly sometimes kind of reminds me of some of the uh other bands that had an oddball approach like uh dbc is one that comes to mind uh dead brain cells on mm. um but the the problem that I guess I would, if I were to list one with the chasm, is that uh, sometimes I feel like a lot of their riffing really reminds me of uh, thrash metal with like a progressive touch. Um, and there's a really deep knowledge of like harmony there. Um, and uh, that's really impressive. But uh the, the riffing to me kind of starts to blur together as uh, once you strip away some of the ornamentation kind of uh, basic metal riffs. That's just my personal opinion, though, and I don't want to let that get in the way of the fact that they are very talented. Daniel Corrochado is a very talented man. Um, I would say one of the most talented composers in all of underground metal, uh, and that as far as their being underrated, they are certainly underrated in regard to in the context of what the quality of their work is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's fair enough. And it, again, it speaks to the fact that they've got a lot of albums out and I wouldn't do what I did today, which is sort of sit down and listen to them all back to back. <laughs> but um, yeah, I do, I do take the point that um, there is again, that word sort of linear um, comes up again, where they're not sort of doing super angular stuff, sort of circa mid-90s Gorguts, um, or even even some Morbid Angels as well. Um, there is a kind of flowing pace to it, which does speak of like, yeah, a, more of a, a older 
kind of foundation based in sort of thrash metal and heavy metal. But yeah, that it really is that that composition and arrangement that sticks to me is that yeah, the the weird approach to um harmony and the weird sort of dynamics as well. And yeah, they just they just sound completely like themselves. Um and yeah, they just they should be should be a classic and they're just not quite there. There's a group of people in the metal community that are in the know. Um, which they well deserve, but I just, I yeah, I think they deserve more. Um, but yeah, unless there are any other thoughts on the chasm, we can uh, move on from my choices. Yes, no choice. That's that's me done though. That's me. Those are three bands, Jason. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to do a dust based chamber orchestra. Um, I was going to do that, and they do deserve an audience, but a they're not a metal band, so I didn't know if the criteria had to be metal, and also they are starting to gain a respectable following in the UK um, as people are catching on. But yeah, I'll be real brief about this one. Um, Dead Space Chamber Music are essentially an English dead can dance in that they borrow like old English folk melodies, old medieval music and sound arts and combine it with elements of doom and noise i'll just be straight up they don't sound anything like dead can dance but philosophically speaking they experiment in a very similar way and they sound distinctively english so if you're into neo-folk um bit of noise bit of um like medieval music and classical check out dead Dead space chamber music uh but yeah we can move on to tyler now tyler tyler i'm here sorry um was trying to maneuver the monitor a little bit anyway all right so for three bands that i consider underrated i'm going to start with the kind of the opposite of shelly start with the ones that are probably lesser known and move on to the ones that are more known so my first one is going to be a romanian death metal band that released what in my opinion was one of the uh best albums from last year i believe uh called rot heads their album that they released last year was called slither and slime uh these guys in my opinion uh truly understand um the spirit of old school if you want to call it that uh death metal they understand it without just simply replicating the uh accomplishments of past bands they understand the idea of working in um how do i want to put this uh i suppose i could say that a complaint i've had about more recent death metal is that it's become standardized how to make death metal and i think some of the early death metal artists had more freedom in the sense that they didn't have an idea of what death metal was supposed to sound like but they had an idea of wanting to create certain sounds to evoke a certain atmosphere or feeling or experience generally a horrifying one and i think that rotheads actually accomplishes that on their most recent album uh it was some well received the album but i think that they could have been given a lot more praise than they got i think that there were a lot more albums that were released last year a day veritable deluge of them as a matter of fact that were raved about that were far less interesting um, they had Rotheads on Slither and Slime almost hearkening to the title of the album. The music kind of moves almost like an organic mass with different parts kind of pulling at each other. And in the sense of some of the groups that we talked about with Jason having a repetition that intensifies 
rather than exhausting the listener. Um, and uh, they don't really um, try to incorporate anything that rather irritates me in newer death metal by trying to differentiate itself with very superficial progressive approaches or by relying on tired tropes and heavy metal to try to identify themselves as some kind of true project um that even though their riffing is you know basic very basic um so yeah i think that rotheads deserves a lot more praise than they've got i think that their album should have been considered one of the best out of the genre in uh, 2022 Okay, I, I had difficulty getting into Rotheads because of their freaking name. I thought it was like the Rothheads, like it's the Rothschilds creating death metal. And the, the name was really, really off-putting um, until I actually sat down and I saw, you know, people raving about them. And I thought it was pretty competent stuff. Um, you know, definitely a, a notch above uh, the OSDM, quote-unquote, that is in flavor with the Dark Descent catalog and things like that. But uh, yeah, uh, I did listen to it. It didn't really uh, seem like, you know, it kept my attention at least. And that's uh, more than I can say about a lot of projects these days. It did keep my attention. So um, yeah, I, I would say in that regard, they're a little underrated if something's able to keep my attention for the whole album. Um, but I didn't feel like they were breaking really new ground in any ways. But uh, Shelly, go ahead. I know you wrote a review about them. Well, yeah, I was going to say, uh, along with Mortify, these guys were very high on my best of list last year, number five. And I would say for very similar reasons, they're not similar uh, stylistically, like, but again, a similar approach to taking, uh, understanding old school death metal as as an idea rather than just a series of signifiers. Uh, whereas Mortify take like the oddball kind of, abstract and almost horrifying aspects i think rotheads kind of managed to combine the sludgy slimy aspects of death metal with like the dark romanticism um and take it in a more sort of grandiose direction but also still very grounded and very like gritty um and for me yeah that's why it, it stood out so much and again it, it's not something you can necessarily articulate every time other than to say you just have to sit down and listen to the albums and sometimes you can tell when an artist truly understands that they have something to communicate through the medium of death metal, and they're not just trying to make noise that sounds like death metal or just, you know, take the various aspects of it and chunk it all together, like an AI wrote it or something. And Rothead's one of those bands that truly had a vision to communicate and knew how to craft that vision through the, the materials of like classic death metal and therefore ended up, sounding very much like themselves, much like Mortify. And uh, yeah, completely agree. More people should know about them and I'll continue to plug them at every opportunity. Yeah, that uh, synth part that they do on the first track on Slither and Slime, uh, Vampiric Inbreeding, that sounds straight out of a, a soundtrack from a horror movie from the 80s. It creates a very sort of sinister ambiance that they then transfer directly into playing the same melody in a very death metal style on uh, the first riff, uh, I thought that was genius. I thought that was illustrating exactly what I was talking about, where they were actually writing riffs to create an atmosphere or, or evoke a certain experience of horror rather than just writing something because this is a death metal riff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, completely agree. Um, it's sort of that synergy between arrangement texture and like quality quality composition so yeah i'm totally on board with that 
Does anybody else have any thoughts on rotheads? All right, well, then I can move into my next band, which is a little bit more well-known than Rotheads. Uh, I'm going to pick Drawn and Quartered. Uh, they have a pretty solid following in the underground scene, uh, but I think that they're following... I'm going to apply underrated to them in the sense that I don't think it's as... Uh, I don't think it's as much as they deserve. They have released a pretty good body of work. They've always maintained a certain level of quality, uh, throughout all of their albums. Um, and their most recent album was one of the better ones of last year as well, I will say. Um, I think that they have uh, kept up a sort of unique take on death metal when a lot of other bands were simply following trends or repeating past successes. And they've even somewhat progressed throughout their career from making uh, straight ahead more kind of on the brutal side of death metal to adding in more doom elements and melodic elements. Um, I will say that they do have something that holds them back a little bit, which is that they go for so much of a certain kind of dissonance to create a chaotic atmosphere that it uh, kind of can, can kind of reduce how, uh, how individual some of their riffs um it can reduce the character of some of their riffs and uh that i, th I think if they could move forward to create more evocative more um more unique riffing that it would actually take them to a step above into one of possibly the best death metal bands in the scene right now uh but i also think that sometimes that chaotic chaotic atmosphere lends itself to the themes that they are going for, which is kind of a mind, uh, the human mind descending into a form of uh, madness or fragmentation. Uh, I do think that pretty much everybody here is uh, really familiar with them. But like I said, I think they deserve um, somewhat more praise than they receive. They seem to not really be one of the bands that's brought up when people are talking about the hot bands in death metal at this time. I, I will tell you this. Uh, Drawn and Quartered has given me blue balls more than any other band on the planet. Um, I, I have kept up with them for 15 years now, and I thought they are on the precipice or really close to that threshold numerous times, but they have yet to breach into true greatness. Um, and, and in that regard that, you know, I've given them so many chances and I feel like the ball has always dropped somewhere um, on in in their entire catalog um actually where i i feel like you know they just keep blue balling me over and over and over but what they are they are very competent death metal um they do have a wide range of quote-unquote correct influences or whatnot uh you know traditional death metal influences even i would say immolation is one of them um and but there's always something that's just not there yet um and all of their albums are just it's not really realized to the fullest capability. There's a lack of focus somewhere. And so I, I view that they are rather popular for the type of quality they are putting out. So I wouldn't really say they're underrated. And I do want to say, you know, on the record that they've given me blue balls at least five times. So. <laughs> well, I will say I'm not as familiar with them as you guys, um, but I did review one of their albums a couple of years ago and they strike me as like a real workhorse of like solid 
death metal. Um, I, I probably need to go back and give them another try based on what Tyler's saying uh, to draw a proper conclusion. But for me, yeah, they, they never really grabbed me. And I'm going to mention the, the plague bearer in the room because the guys um, had like a, a sort of semi-black and black slash death metal um, released this year under the name plague bearer. And I reviewed it very highly. I thought it was um, an incredible album, sort of references to immolation and stuff. But I know that Jason and Tyler weren't quite as impressed by it. But for me, that was sort of where these guys' talents lie. And Jordan Quarter never really grabbed me in the same way. But I will confess, yeah, I I haven't sort of done a deep dive into their discography for a while. So maybe I should go back and um, and see what they're about. Rafa. Yeah, I was not as uh, pleased with Plague Bear, but uh, for many of the same reasons that you you said you weren't pleased with uh, Drawn and Quartered. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, Raphael, sorry to interrupt you, Jason. Yeah, I was just calling on Raphael because he hasn't said anything in like an hour. So, Raphael, any thoughts on those bands, uh, Drawn and Quartered or Plague Bear? Well, probably not the best time for me to chime in because honestly, I'm not very familiar with uh, either of them. Uh, I have listened to some of Gone um, and Quarter. I think it was their, their latest album. And um, overall, I, I guess I'm more um, like the, the opinion that you guys were uh, expressing that closely resembles mine the most is yours, Jason. I think that there's definitely some qualities there. Uh, but um, yes, I think overall, the, the impression that I got was that there was a lot of unfocus. Um, but again, um, I really should get back to um, to listening to both that latest album and um, uh, other of their work to to have a more informed opinion. But anyway, that's the the most immediate impression that I had from the very little that I've listened to is more or less that. Yeah. All right, that makes that's fair. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the next band, and I know this one may uh, generate some conversation. Uh, go ahead, Tyler. All right. So the last band I chose, I think, is pretty pertinent because they just released a new album two days ago. But I'm going to choose uh, Samoth. And while they do receive a lot of praise in certain circles, uh, I think that they are underrated in the sense that through many years when black metal, the kind of music they play, has been chasing all sorts of various trends from depressive suicidal black metal to progressive black metal to dissonant black metal to orthodox black metal. Uh, Samoth has always stayed the line with releasing fairly consistent quality, um, intense uh, death black metal. And uh, while I would say that you could say the quality has varied between some of their works, um, they have, uh, they've always kind of stayed true to their approach and uh, I also think that you can see a sort of movement in their discography where their albums oftentimes were the uh, the band working on techniques that they slowly perfected over time. A lot of people feel that their peak is godless arrogance, and I'm not necessarily going to argue with that. That's probably in their later style, which is pretty much everything from the second album forward, the uh, perfection of their purest black metal approach. But I also think that their most recent two albums were good, and I was very pleased with their most recent album. Uh, Samoth has a really excellent approach of creating a contrast between chaotic and violent riffing and a soaring sense of melody, almost as if you're in the midst of some kind of battle 
and then being taken to a bird's eye uh, view of the battle where you're seeing its uh, significance. And uh, that really relates well to their theme because they generally focus on themes of war and combat. And uh, while I think that they do, like I said, receive a decent amount of praise, uh, they always seem to not be well known by people who are really well versed in black metal and people who are really well versed in black metal tend to list other bands, sometimes bands that just happen to be the hot topic at the moment. And uh, they seem to get bypassed by a large portion of the black metal scene and the heavy metal scene in general. But yeah, I'll open it up to other thoughts on the band now. Shelly, do you yeah. want to start? I, I mean, we're, we've been chatting a lot about Sam off, you know, off the record. Um, and I feel that Shelly will encapsulate my thoughts because he, re he recently revisited Godless Arrogance and uh, came to the same conclusion that I have. So go ahead, Shelley. Well, I came to the same conclusion in that um, Godless Arrogance is not a riff-based album in that it's black metal, it's like war program music. It's focused on war and similar to very early Bolt Thrower, sort of Realm of Chaos era, it works like the music is literally a metaphor for the various aspects of battle, specifically, obviously, the Second World War and the Western Front. Um, and the instruments kind of have a, a unifying, like, purpose uh, behind them. So the chaos of the riff, uh, the riff um, of the guitar work is kind of backed up by very sort of creative and fluid drum work. Um, on their latest album, Greberberg, um, they have started to work in much more obvious um, melodic flourishes, particularly like the, the tremolo picked riffs um, and much more obvious riffing full stop. Um, now, this is where this is the point where Jason and I diverge because I, I really like appreciated and really loved that aspect of the album. And I thought it was kind of a welcome course correction or just taking a taking the formula of Godless Arrogance and looking at it from a different angle um and for me that really worked uh but i know that jason it didn't necessarily chime with you but speaking more generally on samos legacy it's similar to what i was trying to say with the chasm in that they do have a respectable following and um people that know about them definitely like know and respect them but yeah they sh again they should be kind of a household name when people are sort of rattling off like classic death metal band, uh, classic black metal bands, especially black metal bands that have kind of kept the flame alive post 2000 as well, because um, for a certain stripe of black metal, it kind of faded into the background whilst more kind of symphonic or overtly depressive or sort of indie based versions of black metal were gaining popularity. Whereas Sabbath stayed the course with this very straightforward, very brutal kind of very um, chaotic form of black metal. And they, they deserve, accolades for that and now they're you know they're still coming out with a fresh take on that sound again and sort of adding to their vocabulary so yeah for me definitely agree with their uh they're being picked for this episode yeah i would be interested in hearing uh daniel's thoughts on them if he has any because i know that his book focused on u.s black metal but that uh gives me the impression that he you know he's pretty knowledgeable on black metal as a genre as a whole and so daniel have you heard of samoth and if so how do you feel about them i've seen him godless arrogance before uh daniel uh 
kind of put the spotlight on you just randomly. Uh, any thoughts on Samoth? I mean, not deep thoughts. Uh, you guys did a, a great job, you know, handling that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, the style is really great, like you were saying about how being consistent uh, over their their works. Um, th- I think the the guitar tones rule the that dedication to kind of uh, a lo-fi sound is pretty great. Um, it's not an immediate hit for me. Like I'm not going to go. I'm not sure that I'm going back to it a whole bunch. Um, maybe I'd need to hear it uh, and specifically hear it with people, like in the company of people who are really enjoying it, to like get more out of it um i mean it's cool uh but i it kind of slid off a little bit you know what that's kind of my opinion with this new album (laughs) it's uh it's really riff oriented and like shelly was saying like godless arrogance i view it more like a metal orchestra not in you know like being very intricate or a lot of different voices or anything like that i mean that there's so much synergy between the different parts of the band like whenever there's a a choppy riff that really doesn't make much sense. Um, granted, this album is about chaos, 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 and just the the raw, feral aspects of black metal. Um, but the way the instruments work together to create this unified whole is wonderful on Godless Arrogance. So when there's like a choppy guitar riff, that guitar riff by itself with honest, interesting uh, drum patterns behind it would fail, honestly. But because the band comes together and there is this great synergy, you know, the drums kind of take the forefront for a second and then it moves on to a different transition. Then this bass line just comes out of nowhere. And it's just wonderful how all these bits and pieces come together to create this feral statement of black metal. Whereas this new album, I thought it was really good. I never said it was bad or anything like that. It kept my attention. I did listen to the whole thing uh, the day it came out. But the thing about that, con- contrasted with Godless Arrogance, it's a guitar riff album. And there's nothing bad about that. This, but what what's really unique about Samoth is that Godless Arrogance, where he, they did create like the most feral representation of bombastic black metal ever. And honestly, for me, I had heard Godless Arrogance a few times, you know, just out of people raving about it. But it wasn't until I was plastered drunk that it really clicked for me. I turned it on one time when I was drunk. I'm like, this is fucking chaotic awesomeness in an inebriated state. It just made perfect fucking sense. And ever since then, it's just withstand the test of time with me. Like, And when I compare the new album, it's like, yes, there are really good parts. There's really great riffs in it, too. But as a whole, I do not feel the same synergy that is in the Godless Arrogance. So. Uh, um with that i will uh, echo daniel lake's stance that it is cool <laughs> it is you know there there's a little bit of a lo-fi aspect to it but it's rather well produced um but uh i do i do view the new one as way better than across the rhine is only death i honestly uh i didn't ever make it through that album so i do view it as uh they're, they're taking the the project in a better direction but when it comes to like the best in their catalog, is by far, at least for me, it's Godless Arrogance. So that's my thoughts on that. I know, Raphael, you're well-versed with Samath, too. Do you have any thoughts on them? Yeah, well, I guess you guys already said the, the essential. And I do agree that Godless Arrogance was the peak. And that's when all of the several threads that they were exploring finally came together in the most uh, in the purest form. Uh, but... Uh, one thing that uh, hasn't been brought up yet, and I'd like to, uh, you know, give a little attention to that, 
is an album that I think is uh, underrated even within Semat's discography, which is the very first one, uh, Stridged. Um, of course, like uh, Tyler was saying, uh, Semad w- went on. It's, a, it's an interesting band uh, in the sense that uh, they were they explored quite a few, even though they have a very uh, a very definite, a very um, well-defined core. I think they went on exploring several def- different te- techniques and, uh, and ideas and even uh, certain stylistic and aesthetical choices throughout their career. And on, on that very first album, of course, it's still a very... Um, they're still in the larger form, so to speak. But I think uh, there's a lot of interesting things to, to pick up anyway, especially the way they handle Melody in that one. I think it's the probably the only Semat album where Melody is handled in that way, uh, in terms of uh, longer melodies and uh, also the presence of keyboards, for example. And in, in a sense, it's the, their album that's the closest to conventional black metal because, as we were saying, they still haven't quite uh, nailed their um, their own unique voice. But anyway, for all these reasons, it's I think it's a very interesting album for anyone to check out. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think that there's more similarities to Strid to their later discography than some people may at first think. Uh, I think the keyboards kind of contribute to feeling that it's vastly different. But the riffing still has that chaotic, um, very warlike feel. But they do definitely do their longest uh, melodies on that album. I think on their most recent album, they kind of return to that sense of melody, but in a shortened form. Um, I will say that uh, something that they do on Strid and on uh, Dodengeng and uh, what the, and they do on the most recent album as well, in part, is they have a very interesting approach to melody that is very lengthy and uh, sometimes can almost remind me of groups like Summoning. It has almost like a classic, uh, classical or medieval feel to the melodies that really can be breathtaking with its contrast to the grinding, chaotic riffing. And uh, so with uh, the most recent album, for instance, to close on Samoth, I would like to um, heap praise upon them by saying that there are some of those really uh, almost awe-inspiring moments, like on the track's Last Gasp of the Dying, um, the introduction of that melodic riff uh, hit me very deeply. And on the next track, uh, Crush, Shattered, and Destroyed, uh, it's not so much the thematic introduction of the melody, but the melody on that track is also has a very uh, interesting, like I said, almost classical or medieval approach. So yeah, very awesome band and uh, very uh, excellent quality on their part. Yeah, I thought that song, you know, definitely had some strong melodies, but the riff construction just seemed a little weird to me. But uh, yes, uh, was that your third band, Tyler? Yes, it was. You yes, know, it was. Yep, that's Porter, it for Rockheads me. And Sam. Uh, I know Daniel Lake has scored on time, so let's go with you next, and then we'll get to Raphael for his favorite band. So, Daniel, uh, uh, what are some uh, underrated bands, sir? Yeah, so when when you talked about underrated bands, I, I did bring up like what does that mean a little bit just because uh I, I had to think about like I was looking through tons of bands that I like and thinking lots of these bands are perfectly rated. They are correctly rated. Uh there are lots of bands that I think are great, but for various reasons, you know, if they have small uh audiences, uh it, it makes some sense to me. Um Shelly, you were kind of talking about how when you were talking about the chasm having a, you know a ton of records, this was actually part of my thought process was like for a band to be underrated, 
meaning they should be, uh, you know, thought better of. I thought maybe they should have a, a pretty solid body of work to draw from. Um, so anyway, that was kind of part of my thought process. I, I, I chose bands that um, have a pretty solid body of work. Um, the first one that I chose was um, the California band uh, Vastum. Um, it's a great death metal band, kind of a, a powerhouse band. They've got um, members that are also playing in uh, Acephalix, uh, Hammers of Misfortune, uh, Necrot, uh, Mortuous, Ulthar, uh, just lots of like great projects. Um, Vastum is is a lot about the, the themes and these songs are a lot more about uh, personal trauma than kind of any of the like the war themes uh, or anything on on some other death metal. Uh, it's not it's not satanic death metal. It's it's not about you know the ills of society per se. Vastum um, writes songs that are about kind of really super fucked up psychological uh, sexual stuff. Um, it's really disturbing music, but it's really cohesive. Uh, I think the members of the bands um, or members of that band are, are pretty awesome. Um, uh, Layla Abdul Rauf, uh is an amazing artist. Uh, she's a guitarist in the band and uh, and a vocalist. Uh, she's she adds great stuff to that project, but she also has her own thing. Um, the vocalist Dan Butler is crazy, <laughs> like in a live setting he like leans off the stage and like grabs people by the head and uh just kind of like lays on the crowd often uh it's it's not a thing he does once in a while he basically uses the crowd uh to keep him up off the floor uh, the entire time it's not it's not stage diving it's just kind of this crumpled like not willing to hold his own body weight up while he you know screams at people uh it's just a very cool package um and i really really appreciate what they what they do uh so you know is, is there anybody else uh in the group who's spent time with this band i recently uh since you had mentioned them i listened to a, a concert of theirs the i think it was in oakland it was on the the youtube um and I actually brought it up on my projector and had them you know i was able to see everything in uh great detail but as you were talking about their lyrics i was looking up their lyrics just now and holy shit that's some personal stuff um i'm unsure if that's like personal traumas that they've encountered if so then i, I feel sorry for them um but yeah that's kind of a different take on uh you know extreme metal lyrical content where it's like, uh, you know, Chuck Goldener with uh, The Philosopher, you know, so much about nothing, uh, not even your own sexuality or something like that. And, and I was just kind of delving into the lyrics here, and it's really graphic stuff. Um, so, yeah, that, but uh, texturally speaking, I, I thought they're part of that Dark Descent uh, OSDM kind of vibe that's, you know, in flavor right now. And I would say the closest band to them that I've heard personally is Cruciamentum. Um, which I actually think Crucium out of all the incantation clones, they're like the least incantation of the incantation clones. Like they, they tend to have some of their own style in there mixed with that incantation sound. Um, and so in that regard, I, I thought it was pretty cool. It's like, oh yeah, there's you know some Crucium vibes here and there, but holy shit, these lyrics, what the hell? Um, yeah, that's yeah, what the, you know? yeah, it's pretty great. 
Any other thoughts on Vastum? I mean, I, just look up their lyrics and you want to take a shower afterwards. <laughs> well, yeah, I had not uh, come across them um, until you selected them, Daniel. But yeah, I definitely got the incantation thing. And I think, again, a similar kind of um, co modern contemporary comparison would be someone like Father Befouled. But again, I think Father Befouled make a point of trying to sound exactly like incantation, which isn't necessarily a good thing. <laughs> Whereas yeah. uh, <laughs> Baston definitely have their own thing going on. Um, uh, yeah. So I was listening to their, their latest album, um, which I didn't realize was called Orificial Purge, which um, is quite uh, evocative as well. But yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely cornered a unique little spot in terms of like the bands that sort of, take a lot of influence from uh, Incantation. And I didn't realise as well, the the vocalist, um, he sings in another band called, uh, uh can't pronounce it properly because I've never heard anyone say it out loud, Drag Car, um, who are kind of like a sort of simpler Rotten Christ, heavy metal, come death metal, black metal outfit. But they released an album uh, a few years ago and he did the vocals on that at the Crossroads of Infinity. Um, so yeah, I didn't actually realize there was a connection there. So yeah, that's pretty pretty cool as well. But yeah, um, quality band. Yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing them up. Yeah, I uh, just was looking at some of their lyrics myself and was uh, pretty taken aback by the line on one of their earlier albums, "Internalized horror of what lies beneath the belt." Uh, definitely seems like some very hardcore trauma that they're covering uh, thematically. Uh, definitely could tell that they had influences from groups like Incantation and maybe other groups that were influenced by Incantation. Um, and I can see where Jason is drawing comparisons to Cruciamentum. As far as their music goes, I believe that I listened to the same concert that Jason is talking about um, when I went to go check them out because uh, in the spirit of this episode being about underrated groups, I had never heard of them until they were uh, mentioned in the context of covering them on this episode. So yeah, if they, uh, if that's a pretty common experience with this group, then they are definitely not receiving as much attention as they may merit. Daniel? Yeah, full agreement on that. Full agreement. I, I think they, uh, they, they get mentioned here and there. Uh, I think maybe the name is a little bit of a barrier. Um, it sounds like, you know, a fair amount of other, you know, short, punchy Latin-esque names, uh, that, that some death metal bands have, but I, I think, I think they stand out musically. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you, you had chosen two other bands and I do want to apologize. Sure, yeah. My, my ignorance, I did not listen to them. Um, I had some stuff come up this weekend, and yesterday I was in a, a world of hungover pain and moving around boxes, and it was really, really hot here. So I apologize. I did not do my homework for this episode, but uh, uh, what are what are two other underrated bands? So I'm actually glad that you didn't do some of this homework, uh, because I'll be honest, the other two bands, I, I think you'd probably hate you you mentioned yeah uh, yeah actually i i did uh listen to each band for one second and I turned okay off. yeah that sounds right uh you, you talked earlier about um man I, I don't remember which band you were saying uh something that definitely kept your attention that you were praising you know bands that definitely keep your attention maybe it was maybe it was rotheads uh 
this next band I'm going to bring up would definitely not do that. Um, this band, Old Man Gloom. Uh, they're one of those bands that I, I think they require people to decide to give them attention. They, they don't go uh, grabbing at it. Um, and, and again, this band is made up of people from uh, various other, like much better known projects. Uh, members of Old Man Gloom are also in Converge, uh, Isis, Cave-In. Um, they, they make almost kind of infuriating music. Uh, there's lots of noise. Uh, then there's these bursts of like grindy, sludgy, heavy stuff. Um, but then, but then it's all kind of, it, it's, it's extended out with all the, these protracted passages that are either quieter or just, it's not clear where they're going. Um, for, for a while, they leaned on this idea that the full name of the band was the old man gloom alien simian defense league. Uh, and, and leaned on this kind of ape monkey from space thing, uh, Are they like Mr. Bungle? They're not. I mean, it's 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 very much in the sludge kind of uh, gr grind, <laughs> grind and sludge kind of do not go hand in hand. But but if you were to go really fast and then not, um, it it's not it's not like Bungle in that it's uh, widely varied types of music. Uh, it's just that there's a lot of like other kinds of noises, non-music, found sound stuff. Um, I just think that this band makes, over time, they've made some extremely cool uh, artifacts, uh, musical artifacts, sound artifacts, uh, that deserve people's time uh, if they choose to give it. Um, I'm a strong, committed lover of their Christmas album, which is a horrible thing to say out loud and it makes me feel weird for saying it they have an album called christmas i love it top to bottom um they've got a, a half hour track they called uh zozobra that's also pretty great have, um, have you ever listened to Pendereki? he came off a christmas symphony and that is some dark and disturbing music Pendereki, the classical composer i'm gonna have to listen to that because that sounds great yeah, it just re reminded me of that. I was like, wow, this is actually really fucking cool for a Christmas symphony. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Sorry for jumping in. No, just that I think that they, given that they're these members, uh, their other projects are so well known. This band is probably uh, in some cases just kind of shrugged off as a joke band, even though I feel like their music is very much not a joke. Um but I, yeah, I just think they they deserve uh, a kind of attention uh, that I think a lot of people are probably not willing to give them. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's another one where I completely unfamiliar with them, and I was just sort of browsing through their metal archives page, and I noticed that given that they've got quite a few albums, they've only got a handful of reviews. Uh, they're all positive reviews, but um, I don't know if they're one of those bands that because they span genres and like approaches and philosophies. It's one of these where not, you know, people that are firmly in the metal camp don't necessarily get them. And then maybe they're a bit too metal for people that would be into the noise or experimental aspects. 
I don't know if that might be what they suffer from because a lot of bands that go on the more experimental side sometimes they do struggle to sort of find their audience but I think that's kind of a holdover from sort of tribalist thinking in a way so yeah um, they're definitely another one that I should probably look into also they they tend to put out too much music all at once um you know the last two albums they've put out uh have been pretty much double albums and, and they're not short record like each each one is itself quite long uh and it's just a ton of time required to put in uh things are not catchy they do not do catchy things uh, so you kind of, anyway, I, I'm not selling the band very well, uh, but it's kind of exactly in the wheelhouse. What I like to spend my effort on when I get a chance to do so. Yeah. I checked out their band, their album, uh, seminar nine darkness of being, mm. um, and it's not really like my kind of style because I, I find things that are like influenced by like post hardcore or like hardcore adjacent um difficult to listen to sometimes because it has such a different approach than metal whereas a lot of the metal at least that i enjoy tends to go for like a certain kind of logic that connects um riffs within the piece and uh even if it's an abstract one a lot of the uh, hardcore adjacent material like sludge um can uh, tries to go purposely i get the intent behind it for something that's more meant to uh disjoint consciousness that's almost more meant to constantly uh jolt your awareness and um create a sense of uh disorder or confusion and so that kind of aspect of it is not something that is particularly to my taste um but they, you can definitely hear that they have members from groups like Converge, although they certainly go for somewhat more of a doom-laden approach than that band does. Um, and uh, the it, it, it it's definitely something that I think would uh, appeal uh, pretty well to a certain segment of uh, the metal audience today. So I'm not sure why that segment hasn't caught on to the group more. Yeah, I hear you. So, and unless there's other uh, commentary on that, I, I'm happy to go on to the third band. Yeah, yeah, let's do uh, the third band. Honestly, I, I don't know how to pronounce their name, so you take the lead. Yeah, man, I had to look it up, uh, and I've been pronouncing it wrong for years. Uh, I, apparently, it's it's pronounced Dicatafalk. Um And, uh, yeah, this guy is from Hungary. He moved to scotland at some point and lived there for a while although my understanding is he might not be living there anymore he might have moved back um and this is you know a completely different tack from something like vastum uh this music is a lot lighter um the the music that this guy makes um it it really definitely falls into that it's a casualty of that, like which box does this land in kind of a thing, because it's got a black metal. I don't even want to say like necessarily a black metal core to it because it's not black metal, but it's got a bunch of, it, it draws a lot out of kind of the, the well of black metal. Um, 
for the the some of the riffing, the melodies, the character of the music. But then that gets balanced with kind of a lot of Eastern European folk ideas, some dance music stuff, electronic stuff. Um, this dude is super prolific. He's put out, you know, a ton of records in the past 10 years, 10, 15 years. Um, there, you know, it, it's a varying quality. I, I think there are two records of his that I am deeply engaged in, uh, one called Rangateg from about 12 years ago. Um, and then Vadak was a record he put out just a couple years ago. Both of those, I think, are really, really good, uh, very engaging. Uh, but he's got a ton of other stuff. Uh, just, uh, I think last week he put, or maybe it was this past Friday, uh, he put out a record that's a lot more metal focused than some of his other stuff has been recently. Um, it's, it's definitely kind of weird, but it's, it's, there's a lot going on. Uh, it's a very cool approach. And I, I think maybe, uh, it doesn't get a whole lot of, uh, attention just because there are too many things that are trying to happen. And I think people who like one side of his sound uh, might be totally turned off by, you know, the other sides. Do you think it might be his fashion of why he's underrated? Because this guy does not wear cheap clothes at all. I'm looking at pictures of him right now and he, you know, he wears a suit top and he definitely has a, a strong sense of fashion. Whereas the average metalhead, they just like, you know, wearing band t-shirts and, black pants where this guy um you can tell his attire that he's wearing is at least two hundred dollars do you think the fashion aspect may be holding him back a little bit well i mean you're not wrong uh i haven't seen a lot of pictures of him so that hasn't that hadn't kind of entered into my mind but it makes a lot of sense given (laughs) the sound that he's putting out uh his his fashion sense certainly matches the sound um yeah yeah that could definitely turn some people off yeah, it's like you want to meet up with him at a for an interview and it's at a fancy restaurant somewhere. And, <laughs> and this is, you know, a three to five course meal with, you know, everyone dressed really well and all that. So, yeah, um, honestly, like I said, I hadn't listened to this project and it was kind of cool to get your take on it. Did anyone check out this band? I actually used to be a fan of them in my teenage years when I went through a kind of progressive avant-garde metal phase. Um, and I listened to them quite a bit during the time and I raved about them quite a bit. I don't remember their music very well, uh, from when I used to listen to them because that would have been around, uh, between like 2005 and 2008. Um, so the, and if I remember right, they had only released like maybe like three albums by that point. Um, but, uh, I did go back and revisit their music. Um, ironically, they, uh, their music, um, the, a track from their most recent album was on an official Spotify playlist for new metal that, uh, track from the new Samoth album was also on. Um, and I, uh, think that the man is clearly, uh, very talented and has a really good mastery of instruments and composition. Uh, I have similar complaints to it that I have about the chasm, which is that uh, sometimes it, the music seems to get so lost in uh, certain forms of experimentation um, that the riffs that are underlying it are uh, really kind of just common heavy metal riffs, uh, at least to my listening. Um, 
but I don't want that to uh, detract from the fact that he is a very talented instrumentalist. He has a he has a very good approach to being able to incorporate a lot of diverse influences and a lot of diverse instrumentation. Yeah, again, going back to the because again, obviously, my first point of call would be Metal Archives to check a new band out and stuff, and I can tell they kind of gave up with the description so they just called it avant-garde metal which is fair enough if there's that much going on there's no point like writing out a great long list of all the subgenres that this guy dabbles in but yeah it's another one where i was not familiar with them um i will be honest to say it's not my jam but um it sounds like i'm not the only one in that regard in that there is a lot going on um and when you do pull on so many different genres and so many different traditions uh, some people really vibe with that and sort of really um, get on with like the like will to experiment. Uh, for me, sometimes I do tend to get a bit overwhelmed by it um, and I kind of struggle to picture the, the vision that's coming out. But admittedly, um, I was only listening to a handful of his records last night. So I he's got quite a big body of work. So um, it's definitely one for me to sort of go back on and... Uh, see see what's there but yeah definitely um definitely another kind of left field left field choice that um yeah is quite quite an interesting one by the looks of it would you say it's like perennial philosophy where you know the perennial philosophy looks at universal truths throughout the world's religions and philosophies and when something is about everything in that regard it's not really about anything because it it takes so much from a lot of different uh different subjects and you know aspects of life that once you jumble up all those different things uh it may not be about anything specific is it like that well i wouldn't i wouldn't level that at, at this guy because like i said i don't i'm not as familiar with his discography to sort of make that claim but i would say the tradition of like experimental progressive metal in general or stuff that self-identifies as that it is always in danger of becoming um I always use the metaphor of it's like skipping through a Spotify playlist on shuffle um, really fast when it just jumps from style to style to style with no kind of overarching philosophy that's that's guiding it through. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't mix genres and you shouldn't like try and um, broaden the kind of influence that you're pulling from. I think it can work really, really well. It's just, it has to be done with a certain degree of forethought and, uh, some sort of clear vision that you're trying to articulate through the um, the breadth of the music that you're calling on. Yeah. And I definitely think that, you know, in some cases he is, you know, skipping between styles. Um, but I do think his strongest material uh, there's, there's not a sense of that so much as the various styles that he's pulling into his songs complement each other or, or, they are thematically related and so they tie together within the songs really really well again for somebody just getting into this stuff uh that 2011 uh album rangateg or however that is actually pronounced uh is is extremely good at tying these concepts together um and making the stylistic differences really work in context Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out, the, the 2011 album. Um, cool. Uh, I know you, you have to jet, Daniel, so it's been a great pleasure having you on today. And happy Father's Day. Um, I think you're the only father on the program today, and 
Uh, I know Shelly's a soon-to-be father, so and maybe next year we can do this again when you're we can both say Happy Father's Day. I mean, <laughs> we celebrate it. Um, but yeah, thank you, Daniel. Have a good rest of your day, sir. That's right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate how you have me on. Yes, sir. Always great to have you. All right, thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. Great to talk to you. Yep, uh, Raphael. I believe you are next. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I'll also go from the. Um, also start with the most famous band, and uh, I guess it's going to be a probably a controversial uh, and a weird choice that might not make much sense at first, but it has to do with uh, the very specific um, interpretation of underrated that I applied here, and that band is uh, Tiamat. Uh, more specifically, the um, the God phase of Tiamat, that is the one that starts with uh, Wild Honey. Now, I actually, to be entirely honest, I think Tiamat is one of those bands that it has always suffered the sort of uh, identity crisis from the very beginning. And um, I actually don't think that their very first album, that is the the straightforward death metal album, is that successful. Um, the, the later ones like Essel Sleep and Clouds, which are sort of transitional albums, I think they... Uh, they they got gradually better, but um, in any case, the this the struggle was there. This uh, constant search for a sort of uh, another type of expression that fit them better, and I think that only truly happened on um, on Wild Honey. Uh, now I picked. Uh, I think they are underrated in the sense that this phase in particular is, even though it's probably the it's the phase that got them the most uh, mainstream uh, attention and popularity. In our circles, uh, that is, in people that are more focused on uh, underground metal, extreme metal, etc., uh, there's a tendency to um, sort of despise, you know, this phase and uh, to see it to see it as a selling out. But I actually see it uh, exactly on the the opposite way. I think it's that's when they actually found their voice. It just happened that their voice uh, was more, uh, you know, more accessible and poppy material. But I think what matters is that they really handled the, um, this more poppy uh, god sound. Probably, I would say, uh, the best way that any extreme metal band has, has done it. Uh, I think it's a very, um, even though it's it's obviously a very, um, well, there's a lot of, there's some, uh, formal, some more formulaic stuff, maybe. And it's very catchy, uh, very, um, no, very accessible overall. But I think there's also a lot of inventivity there. Uh, the way they just mixed all these different elements together uh, in a way that's not gratuitous, in my opinion. I think it really uh, ends up um, ends up combining uh, nicely and fitting nicely. Uh, so I'm, I'm mostly referring again to the album To Wild Honey, which is their best, in my opinion. Um, although you can also include a deeper kind of slumber there. Uh, in fact, that's when they uh, they actually branch out even more. They they um, yeah they start incorporating uh, you know psychedelia, even some industrial elements, a lot of electronics, uh, even some uh, uh, kind of folky tribal elements. It's just a very uh, experimental approach to that type of to that type of sound, uh, while at the same time being uh, sort of uh, you know like I was saying, very catchy and accessible. Um, so yeah, not sure if anyone has anything to say. Uh, I think. Uh, Shelley, just by virtue of being British, kind of has an obligation to comment on these <laughs> subjects. <laughs> okay, can I chime in first? Uh, uh, so my first time in album, um, if I pronounce that correctly, was when I was 12. I got the the musical history of Time It. Um, and honestly, back then, I was just so into death metal. 
that I only played it a couple of times and I never listened to it again, nor have I listened to his band again since I was 12. Um, but yeah, definitely. I need to check out, you know, some of their later stuff that here you are, you know, all these years later, you know, chatting about them. But I did, I did have the musical history of time on, um, back when I was 12. So I, it's a band that I've always overlooked because I wanted more and more extreme stuff back then. And I never got back around to them. So I'll definitely check out, uh, you know, they're, they're more gothy stuff, I should say. Um, but go ahead, Shelly. Well, yeah, like you, I don't actually have as much to say on them as you'd think. I, I think I went through a phase about a decade ago, maybe a bit more, because I was, I was on a big typo negative kick at the time. And a friend of me recommended these guys as like a more serious kind of, example of you know goth metal or whatever or kind of that formula but done without the sort of you know sarcastic ironic humor and sort of lack of focus that typo negative tended to have at times um and yeah i remember sort of being a bit nonplussed um being brutally honest it's because i was listening to typo negative for a very specific reason um and i wasn't really in it for for the music i was in it to um to you know, using music as therapy for a particular tough time with girl troubles at the time. And Tiamat is not a band that uh, that is for. They sort of do a very different brand of, of goth metal where it's much more serious and a musical and intellectual experience rather than rather than a purely emotive one. Um, but yeah, I think now that you've brought them up again, I definitely need to go and revisit, particularly that sort of mid-90s period that you're referencing there, because... Um, yeah, it sounds like I've sort of missed a trick with that one. Yeah, I kind of really liked uh, Raphael's point about uh, them finding their own voice because I will outright admit that I don't enjoy their goth material or even their death metal material uh, at all. Uh, but um, I do think that they are a better band as a goth band. Their death metal material kind of largely just sounded like young metalheads uh worshiping their influences and didn't have as much of like a unique uh statement to make as some of their peers um but um it's a similar opinion that i have to the band catatonia which i also don't like at all which is that i always felt like catatonia was made worse by the pretense to be a metal band at all and that if they just would go full sell on making sort of gothic uh rock that it would be more true to where their talents lie and i think that was a really excellent observation on Raphael's part uh about tiamat yeah well because you know the natural assumption indeed is that the you know the more uh, commercially viable the the sound that the band is trying it's the the less, the less honest, the less honest it's being. But sometimes it's. I think Tiamat is one of those cases. Uh, well, I guess it, there aren't many cases like that, but uh, I do think it's one of those cases where it's the other way around. And I think your description of their dead metal stuff is really on point. That's exactly how I felt it as well. Um, it kind of has a sort of. Well, I don't, you know, dislike it uh, strongly. Uh, just doesn't really uh, communicate very deeply with me. And I, I think it does have a very amateurish. Uh, sound to it and well i think your image was very good uh, you know just a few you know young guys trying to uh just trying to do some death metal you know at all costs just uh, trying to worship their influences yeah that's pretty much it yeah 
Right. So uh, if, uh, if no one has any more comments, I guess I'll go to the go for the second band. So uh, my my second pick is a Japanese band. It's Intestine Bahalism. Now uh, I think they um, their first album, their first full length album, was in nineteen ninety seven, and I think that's a very uh, significant um, thing because in some ways, uh, and I think this is one of the the things about the band that uh, that I like the most is that they almost they sort of work as a a synthesis of what death metal uh, of pretty much all of the different strains of death metal at the time. Um, so there's, you know, there's a more melodic, uh, Swedish type sound, except in their case, they give it, um, uh, you know, a, a unique twist, a sort of Japanese twist, so to speak, in, in that some of their solos and, and even lead guitar in general, or, or even the riffs at some points are melodic in a, well, and admittedly, perhaps sometimes an over the top way that almost resembles, uh, you know, the typical Japanese video game music or anime music. And I think that's one of the reasons, that's probably one of the main reasons that puts off a lot of people, especially a lot of people from our circles. But, uh, you know, besides the, those elements, they also have the more uh, suffocation style, percursive, uh, brutal, death metal. And uh, some more, some parts that uh, likely will remind, remind you of uh, this member, for example, uh, but overall, I think that their main strength is how they. Um, I don't think this this is a very, uh, you know, uh, just a gratuitous mismatch. I think they are actually their songwriting is very elegant, in my opinion. Uh, just to give one one example of many examples that I could give, uh, the song "A Place Their Gods Left Behind" from their very first album, uh, "Anatomy of the Beast." Uh, I think it flows extremely well to the point. There are some. It's one of those rare songs uh, in extreme metal where. The, the change in riffs is almost uh, imperceptible. Uh, the riffs really flow like uh, hot lead, you know, sometimes. Uh, and even the transitions to the solos and to the more melodic parts. Uh, also, ex uh, extraordinarily vocal performance, in my opinion. I think it's um, it's one of the best death metal performances in terms of uh, high-pitched vocals. And, uh, yeah, overall, I think it's... Uh, for anyone uh, that likes death metal, I think it's uh, they, they really have the... The whole package. Uh, I think they, uh, besides just the the songwriting, which I think is their main strength. The all I think that all of these different elements uh, are really uh, they they really put them into a very nice harmony. I think. I see. Um. So Daniel Lake would have been a good one to chime in on this. I know uh, he uh, had to leave. Um. And I guess for Father's Day stuff or who knows. But uh. Um. About a year ago, Daniel Lake. Um. He we were just. I forget what it was, but he saw a list of bands and uh, we just as like a, an exercise just wrote reviews of some specific albums. And one of those reviews that I wrote that he had uh, shown me from a list was Intestine Baalism. Um, and uh, the album in question was An Anatomy of the Beast. And I came to a very similar conclusion with my review that this was just for fun that we were doing just to keep the writing juices flowing um that uh there was like sweet death sweetest death metal without uh the the boss hm2 pedal um so when you brought up like dismember i can totally see that with an anatomy of the beast but this is one of those bands that i haven't spent that much time with but out of the list of bands that we wrote reviews on just as an exercise um, this was the band that stood out the most to me. Um, and it was like maybe six other bands. So 
Um, yeah, I did enjoy it the most out of the bundle for that just writing exercise. I personally really enjoy this band, especially that particular album, uh, Anatomy of the Beast. It is really powerful. It's a really, um, it's a very elegant and uh, uh, stylistic, uh, powerful album. They have a really good sense of uh, being able to keep a flow of momentum that has a lot of impact. Um, whether they're whatever style that they're incorporating at any given moment in any of the songs. Uh, it definitely has a bit of a unique Japanese uh, approach, even though their influences are cl clearly a lot of uh, various types of Swedish metal from uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, some of the more like classic heavy metal, like Euro metal styles to Swedish death metal, uh, in that it's, it could be very theatrical. Their incorporation of some of the uh, very heavy metal style guitar solos and melodies are aren't just kind of stapled in. They're used to like create very theatrical moments in the song. Um, and one of the things that I've always particularly liked about that album is later in the album, they uh, have these really wonderful, odd floating melodies, almost similar to uh, Cemetery on the album An Evil Shade of Grey. Um, that are very eerie and create a sort of uh, powerful, but like playful sense of darkness. Uh, they are certainly an underrated band in that that particular album should be considered a really strong uh, contender for, uh, for an almost classic album of their era. Yeah, I agree perfectly. I think you, brought some good points in uh, regarding the um, those more floating uh, parts and uh, that reminds me of a, a whole other aspect which is that um, you know in contrast to the the boss h2m production they actually have a, a very um, very sharp production on that album and very spacious as well uh, the way they handle um, there's you can see that there's a lot of care uh, gone into the um, the production in general and uh, the, the way they handle the vocals for example sometimes different layers of vocals and uh, and even the guitars, it's it's a very, I mean, it's a very detailed soundscape that they create. And uh, and yes, uh, again, those um, I think you make a very good portrait of the, what the music sounds like. Um, yeah, that's very playful, but uh, and theatrical. Sometimes, uh, admittedly, a bit cheesy, I guess. But but overall, I think it it fits and it's forgivable considering the the strength of the overall material. Yeah. So not sure if uh, Shelley has anything to say about this particular band. Uh, no, I, I have heard of them, but I'll be honest and say I, I have not actually given them a proper listen. So I don't really have anything to contribute, but um, I'll definitely check out an Anatomy of the Beast after, after this, based on what you guys have said. Yeah, all right. So um, the final band that I chose to highlight here is, uh, I think this is the most obscure uh, from the ones that I, uh, I've picked is a Skin Chamber, which is an industrial uh, metal band. Uh, Skin Chamber was actually a side project of um, of Controlled Bleeding, and I think this is a very important uh, aspect because uh, Controlled Bleeding, for anyone who knows them, is a very, very, um, you know, very experimental, very... Um, it's a band that they have uh, almost, uh, you know, dozens of albums, uh, and they have touched on uh, a whole lot of, a huge amount of different genres, going from, uh, you know, the more, the purer, harsh noise uh, stuff to dub and some experiments with almost prog rock, uh, etc. 
So a very uh, experimental approach overall. And I think that a lot of that seeps into skin chamber. Uh, and that's one of their strengths, in my opinion, because industrial metal, I think, is a very, uh, it's a genre that's very easy to fall into, uh, very, you know, into formulas, uh, just uh, some program drums, uh, some indistinct guitar distortion on top, some shouting vocals, and then some effects, of course. And a lot of the tracks on Skin Chamber, I guess, they they sort of sound like that in a way. But overall, I think there's, um, for anyone who checks out their first album, for example, uh, Wound, there's an undeniable amount of creativity there. And I think the, the overall experimental approach of uh, controlled bleeding is present in the Skin Chamber. Uh, and that's what gives uh, the band uh, their edge, I think. So there's a lot of um, interesting, uh, unconventional, unexpected uh, touches regarding the, the layering, the textures, uh, some tracks that are almost uh, more, uh, more based on ambience, some tracks are almost uh, music concrete, uh, very based on completely just uh, the play of different sounds. Uh, some are more structured, some are you know slow and agonizing. Um, a lot of different, uh, a lot of uh, playful experiments with um, the scenes and uh, the instruments, etc. Uh, the textures overall. So yeah, I think uh, as far as uh, industrial metal goes, uh, I know this might be a very controversial position, but uh, on the strength of those aspects, I would actually put them. Uh, pretty much on the same place as, let's say, the, the best Godflesh. Um, so yeah, that's uh, pretty much my... Uh, I was just talking about the Wound, but they only have two albums. Uh, beside, uh, so besides Wound, they also have uh, Trial. Uh, Wound is my favorite, but, um, but yeah, both of the albums are pretty much recommended for anyone looking for that type of soundscape. Yeah, I would say like... A very surface level reading of them is as like an American answer to Godflesh. Um, and they do have a lot of obvious similarities. But again, speaking of Wounds specifically, they borrow a lot more obviously from Swans. I know early Godflesh, and particularly when they were Fall of Because, um, on that Life is Easy kind of collection, there's pure Swans worship on there as well. But Skin Chamber definitely kind of expand upon that. And the, the sort of their approach is different to Godflesh in that Godflesh, again, one could accuse them, even on Street Cleaner, of having a groove, but it's such a an odd kind of um, syncopated and very idiosyncratic approach to groove, whereas Skin Chamber borrow much more heavily from drone and noise and, yeah, early swans as well to kind of create an ambience um, and it's almost kind of bleeds to outside of metal at that point, even though some of the riffs are metallic um, in a sort of obvious way, the, the construction of songs isn't motivated by the same thing that a metal band would be. Whereas I think Godflesh always did have quite a firm foot in the metal camp, whereas Skin Chamber are much more experimental. And there are even, you know, on Wound, it's a lengthy album. There are even sort of some tracks that bleed into an almost like rocky kind of, danceable rhythm but for the most part it's a very kind of crushing and despairing album and I think the interesting thing is if you sort of plot it along with Godflesh and early Scorn and Sonic Violence um, and bands like that and comparing them to their sort of lineage um, throughout the 80s and into the 70s like electronic music in the 60s and 70s it kind of fed into this idea of like an optimism, a futurism that was 
kind of anticipating tomorrow and waiting for the utopia that would come and all of the wonderful things that science and technology would bring us. And then by the late 80s and early 90s, you have a very different, almost nihilistic, um, anomic kind of attitude towards technology that's expressed through these artists via the likes of like Throbbing Gristle and Swans and Skinny Puppy and like various industrial artists of the 80s. And they're not looking at technology with like relish and excitement. They're looking at it as this all pervasive, like, uh, what's the word? This concept, not a, not the individual artifacts of technology, but just this swirling concept that surrounds them. That's forever, you know, creating means of surveillance, creating means of anime, creating means of oppression. Um, and they express this through their music and through sort of the lens of, um, technology being a source of conflict and alienation. And I think Skin Chamber actually get that sense across more effectively than Godflesh, even though I would still say Godflesh have more expressive range with what they do. But I don't want to sort of quibble over who was the superior, but I would definitely agree with your choice to put them here because they are underrated. The more people should know about them in sort of the early industrial canon rather than the likes of uh, ministry and Nine Inch Nails. I think um, more true-blooded industrial fans who also sit in the metal camp should um, should check out Skin Chamber for sure. Yeah. Um, so what you mentioned about technology being like all-encompassing and impressive and alienating, that made me think that uh, it's quite Heideggerian in a sense that uh, like Heidegger looked at the being of technology and he came up with a similar conclusion that it was quite alienating. Uh, Raphael, um, being that you've delved into Heidegger, do you see that Skin Chamber may be like a Heideggerian type of industrial project? Because I, I've heard, you know, quite a bit of industrial, but it's definitely not one of my favorite genres. But, you know, that, that lineage from like Boyd Rice to, you know, Throbbing Gristle, which was mentioned, uh, some of those textures were just used in a very harsh and oppressive way. Um and Skin Chamber kind of does that as well. Do, do you think that's like a Heideggerian type of statement at all, Raphael? Or am well, I misinterpreting Heidegger? That, um, well, I think it's interesting because uh, I, I specifically uh, mentioned Heidegger in my review of Skin Chamber. So yes, I definitely think so. And I think it's a great point that Shelley has brought up because uh, in a sense, I think that this whole aspect uh, in a, I think it's a, it has always been present, even if in a subterranean, uh, unconscious way in electronic music, because if you think about it, uh, the premise of electronic music is indeed very, it lends itself very easily to this more dystopian or uh, to this vision of technology as um, as described by, by Heidegger, the, the guest tale, right? Uh, and all of this, uh, you know, specific imagery that has been building up throughout, you know, now it's been uh, decades of uh, cyberpunk, um, you know, sci-fi cinema and literature about uh, all these things. Um, because if you think about it, the, the very premise of electronic music, the, this idea of music that's done completely with computers and music that has the potential to be completely uh, inhuman in the, in the sense that it's almost done uh, without any human intervention, it's very cold and uh, machinistic. Uh, it's, it really is the sound of um, of all those aspects of modernity and postmodernity. And if you think about bands, like even though, like Shelley said, there's also a, a side of um, electronic music that's always been very um, optimistic, and because it's always been um, 
tied together, at least in the beginning, with uh, with dance music. I think uh, a lot of electronic bands, uh, including very early ones, uh, they took advantage of these uh, more darker aspects. If you uh, if you think about, for example, Clock DVA, I think it's a very uh, good example. And yes, Skin Chamber, even though it's not uh, strictly an electronic band, it's uh, I do think they um, they do something very interesting with these ideas as well. Uh, and well, they do. They are indeed, uh, as Shelley pointed out, they are sort of they are borderline metal. I think they are metal enough to um, to be mentioned here, but they do have a very uh, eclectic approach um, that really. Um, really touches on a lot of different things, a lot of more uh, electronic, more um, um, just a very a very uh, experimental approach in general. But I think that's indeed one, uh, one of their strengths. Yeah, I think if you take like the comparison to say some of this, obviously, can you be traced back to the likes of Kraftwerk? And Kraftwerk were very much embracers of technology to the point where they wanted to basically be an artificial band. They wanted to completely integrate themselves into the machine and to like their music is a celebration of all things technological whereas bands like skin chamber through the lens of some of the industrial bands of the 80s retain the human element and want to focus on the human within the machine and what what the kind of psychological traumas are that are created from that rather than this open embrace of technology um, and I just think the the contrasting expressions are, are very interesting and the fact that they came from very different eras and to some extent different backgrounds as well, because I think Skin Chamber ultimately have their roots in in punk if you trace it back far enough. And it's a very different attitude to craft uh, work who are sort of tech natives, if, if you will. But yeah, um, it's an interesting one. Tyler, any thoughts on Skin Chamber? Yeah, I used to listen to them quite a bit back when I was listening to Swans a lot and actually Brutal Truth's album Need to Control. Um, I had forgotten about them entirely until the preparation for this episode when Raphael reminded me of them. Uh, I think that pretty much their uh, sort of thematic content has been entirely covered. I think that including them in an episode about underrated metal bands is totally merited because I would say that with all of the influences that they have from industrial acts. And uh, I don't even know if you would particularly consider Swans an entirely an, an industrial act, but groups like Swans with a sort of harsh noise aspect that one of the strengths of their music that puts them a step above uh, those kind of groups, in my opinion, is the powerful uh, like thematic statements they make um, in their riffs when they choose to bring in a sort of a metal or hardcore uh, riff. It's also really interesting, the danceable rhythms that Shelley brought up, uh, because the way they're brought in almost is as if it's meant to be something more of an ambient effect than a focal point of the music, almost as if they're trying to recreate the fragmented and distracted mind of someone who's largely leading a mechanistic existence within uh, modern society, like somebody who's shacking up in a tiny apartment in a large city and is barely hanging on as they cycle back in the routine from work back to their home and the kind of uh, noise that they would hear filtering through their mind, you know, from the television or from advertisements or from 
uh, the noise happening outside. Uh, it's a really interesting approach. I see, I see. Um, so yeah, this might be the longest Necropolis episode ever. We've gone over two hours, I believe. Um, and that was three bands, correct, Raphael? Sorry, Evan. We did intestine, Baalism, skin chamber. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh yeah, so I, I think we're gonna wrap up. Um, any last thoughts today about any of the underrated bands? Um uh any you know definitely check out the bands that we mentioned today and you can always form your own opinion we're not forcing you to like any of them um and but with, these are all bands that we uh personally view that has uh, been quite overlooked in the mainstream consciousness uh and uh especially the bands that i chose i believe they're the best ones but uh i'm not gonna split hairs in that regard <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, definitely check out that Serpent Ascending and the Electronic Beheret and the Desecracy. Um, have a great rest of your day and have a great Father's Day. <laughs>